again talk about Sasquatch, Bigfoot, the legend that is this big ape-like creature. And uh, one of the questions that I might find myself asking is, what's more elusive, Bigfoot or a truly great Bigfoot movie? We will be talking about six more Bigfoot pictures, and as typical with Rank and Review, there will be spoilers for the six films being discussed, and there will be coarse language, especially from me. Please send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please check out the website at rankandreview.ca. This is the voice of your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. Thank you so much for your ears. Now let's talk about Bigfoot, damn it. Brendan Cook is returning to rank and review, and we're doing a sequel episode. Uh, we're doing another episode dedicated to Bigfoot. So first of all, welcome back, talking to us all the way from Florida in the excited states. Uh, it's it's very hot down there, I'm hearing. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for being here. How the hell are you, brother? I'm doing pretty good, Larry. It is really hot here, and you have to understand for context that it is always hot here. The secret is that every year from like May through October, it's 32 degrees and really hot and damp, more than you can imagine, every single day. But this summer, it's the worst we've ever had. It's been 36 every single day instead, and it's just killing us. A lot, yeah. Well... I'm sorry to hear that. I experienced a little bit of 36 when I was visiting BC, actually, earlier this summer. And two or three days of that was plenty, so... Endure and survive. We're return- there is an upside to it. There is an upside. Oh, shit, what's, I talked over you. No, no, what's the upside? What's the upside to 36 degrees? I would love to know what the... <laughs> well, um, the fact that right now I'm able to grow bananas, sugarcane, and passion fruit. Right. It's like a tropical paradise. It's absolutely amazing. My son and I are growing so much sugar cane right now, instead of just drinking the cane juice, we're thinking of doing a big boil where we make syrup like the old-time Florida homesteaders. Wow. And we you just could... have to do it in the morning before the sun comes out or at night after it goes, because the moment it rises, it's death. Classic farmer maneuver, man. You're out at first light. You're out at first light. 
Uh, and you could lure the skunk ape to your backyard. That is actually true, Larry. Um, on the topic of this particular series of films, my children and I actually made a skunk ape video just last year. Oh, really? I didn't see that. It's on our minds, yes. <laughs> well, I told them to do a nice little holiday video for their family up in Canada, but they wanted to do a found footage horror movie, and as it is with kids, they had their way. I'm glad that you're instilling quality value systems into your children, my friend. <laughs> Um, I'm glad that we're returning to the Bigfoot thing. I, I think you and I have had this conversation before, but in order to catch people up, uh, we both love Bigfoot, but neither of us believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> but uh, earlier this season, I did an episode on alien abduction, and I'll say the same thing about this topic as I did that. I don't have to believe in Bigfoot to enjoy these movies. You know, uh, uh, I... I am willing to go with it if you're going to into that sort of thing. Uh, book recommendation for you, actually. Max Brooks, son of Mel Brooks, who wrote World War Z, wrote this uh, interesting Bigfoot book called Devolution. And I do think it's worth your time if you like the subject, which I know you do. <laughs> yeah, I, I know about it. I haven't got to it yet, but I am planning to. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I agree. I in no way, even a little, believe in Bigfoot or the skunk ape. But I feel this incredible sympathy for all the Bigfoot hunters, because even though I know they're deluding themselves, I understand why they want to believe. I get it. I wish I could believe with them. I can see why this is fascinating, having grown up in rural Canada. The whole idea of something that straddles the boundary of human and animal, something that is in a way both natural and yet in some ways perhaps transcending nature, it's a really cool idea. And I keep hearing about devolution pops into my head and I think I'm going to read it. I never get around to it, but it's yeah, worth it your time. Good. And they also have an audio version with it. A lot of uh, cool actors show up to do the voices in it and stuff. It's worth your time. Um, yeah. And as far as the whole Bigfoot thing, I don't believe I a hundred percent don't believe, but I think the, what makes this one different than a lot of things that I don't believe in is that I would love to be proven wrong about this. Like, if they found a Bigfoot skeleton or a Bigfoot corpse or, like, a real Harry and the Hendersons sort of happened, some family on vacation accidentally hit a legit Sasquatch with their car, I would I would be energized by that. I would love that. Is there anything you needed to say by way of introduction before I list off the movies we want to do? Uh, or, or, or did you want to share any uh, skunk egg sightings or interesting Florida stories before we get going? I will just say, um, as maybe listeners know, that this is our second round of Bigfoot-themed films because I do love the topic and I've seen a lot of them before in one way or another, so I think that's my main qualification. And maybe I should also add that I'm working, I teach self, I'm working with a grad student who's working on the thesis of the Cyclops in Renaissance literature, and the appeal there, too, is that it's a creature of nature and the natural world but also something violent and potentially dangerous. Right. So I think this should qualify me as well to speak about this in, shall we say, an expert capacity. <laughs> I think we shall. Because um, you need an expert to talk about some of these super high-quality movies. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> um, so there's going to be a, lots of peaks and valleys to the quality of these uh, particular selections, if, if you find found any peaks. I, I think there's a couple that I was maybe making some excuses for in this bunch, but we are going to talk about From the Asylum, Bigfoot, starring the Danny Bonaducci. 
and Barry Williams uh, for some reason. We're going to talk about Bigfoot meets Rear Window in Abominable. <laughs> We're going to talk about Bigfoot Country, a absolute micro-budget <laughs> Bigfoot movie that's not found footage but sometimes feels like it's found footage because of its execution to be continued on that conversation. <laughs> We're going to talk about Big Legend because, uh, well, it was another Bigfoot movie. <laughs> Here we go. Um, again, there's very little... That there's They're so similar in plot. People go out into the woods, they find Bigfoot, bad things happen. Such is the premise for, for Big Legend. Wild card title, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. It's one of those titles where the, the, the title of the film is the elevator pitch for the film. Um, it's got some built-in interest just because of the weirdness of its very existence. And we'll finish off with the infamous 80s cult item, Night of the Demon. Brendan Cook, thank you so much for being here. All right, let's do it, Larry. Let's do it. You have had another all-night ride with the one. The only R.V. Henderson. We got two days to clear all those trees. This festival is destroying 50 acres of South Dakota forest. The desecration stops now. Believe me, you just couldn't stay out of my spotlight, could you? Let's hear it for Alice Cooper! Get the National Guard! Nature attacked us in self-defense. What's the job? We're gonna kill Bigfoot. Picking up something on the infrared. Hope that's gonna be big enough. The only reason you want to kill Bigfoot is just to piss me off. What is this? A hoot nanny? We need a full airstrike on the top of Mount Rushmore. Ah, going down. I wish your mother were here! Um, someone needs to tell the Asylum, as a production company, to stop. Okay, um, I know that they employ a lot of Canadian actors and a lot of people get their quote-unquote foot in the door with Asylum, but it's getting to the point that seeing that Asylum logo before the movie starts is like initially just putting me right off. It's putting me in a bad mood. It means this movie is of poor quality. That's what the Asylum logo is starting to mean to me. Um, like it's making me feel better about trauma in a lot of ways. Starting, starting, Larry. Starting. Is well, Asylum only beginning to have this bad reputation. Maybe I don't even. I've always associated them as like the birdemic people. Right. Well, and you keep on sort of like they had their sort of moment with Sharknado. And if Sharknado is like your peak product, I mean, what does that say about your product? But as a lover of like horror movies and genre movies, they produce a lot of titles that should be interesting to me. Hence the movie we're about to talk about, Bigfoot. But I look at this, I've got the Blu-ray case in my hand and I look at it and I'm just mystified at like... Okay, we got Danny Bonaducci and uh, Barry Williams. So we have representation from the Partridge family and the Brady Bunch. Because that's super relevant in 2011. That's going to be a big fucking draw to your movie, right? 
Uh, sure, Howard Hessman was popular with WKRP in Cincinnati, which has been off the air since the 1980s. <laughs> like, I get, you know, actors gotta work, and Bruce Davison, who's a very respectable actor, he was the original Willard, and uh, made his fame in Hollywood with a very sort of gay-positive movie, Longtime Companion, Companion, before that kind of movie was sort of popular. He is in this movie, and he directed it. It's, it's just this bizarre concoction of people, and what about this? Like, the only thing sexy about this cast list to me is Bigfoot. Like, the presence of Bigfoot is the only thing here. Everything else, I don't know what their approach is. I don't know, like, what stats they're following, but all they have is Bigfoot. And in the first 30 seconds of this movie, we see their Bigfoot, and it is terrible. So, what we have left, what do we have left? We've got the bad Bigfoot in here. Yeah. Well, we do have a terrible Bigfoot, but I wanted to go back to what you said about the casting. I mean, we want to unpack these things one by one here, and right. it does seem like a make-work project for 70-something actors. Right. There are so many, almost it's kind of good. It's empowering to see so many over 60 faces in this film. It really feels like the justification for this was all of these over-the-hill people, including the two you mentioned. And by the way, like, I'd heard of Danny Bonaducci all my life, but I still the life of me wouldn't know who he was or what he'd done. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. I just knew he'd been a guy who'd done a thing once. Yeah. And it feels like the whole reason for this movie existing is they needed work and they got together friends who needed work who were of the same generational cohort and they shot this terrible film. So there's the cast. Did they finance it? Older actors. (laughs) It it, it makes me wonder. It actually looks well financed. (laughs) Relatively speaking, this film looks better funded than almost any other film on our list, actually. <laughs> Ouch to the other films on our list. But it, it, it's also a constant flaw of all of the Asylum monster movies. Like, they never build up to the shitty monster. They show you the shitty monster right away, and it's a mistake every time. <laughs> well, yeah, and this is, to go to that point, the laziest bit of CGI I've ever seen and we get bombarded by a lot of bad CGI these days but they don't even keep it consistent and also to be clear to people this isn't a normal Bigfoot in the sense that he's more like a kaiju style Bigfoot oh he's, he's huge Bigfoot big enough to grab to grab exactly like to grab a bus or to throw people around and stomp on people so he's a gigantic Bigfoot but he's so shitty looking they can't even keep his size consistent I guarantee you, if you broke it down frame by frame, he's double as big in some shots than he is in others. He's however big he needs to be for the really uninspiring scene to go forward. Zero love put into the interface between the very fake CGI and everything else. But, like, uh, like again, if I'm producing this movie and I'm, like, I'm making do with the cast... I'm sorry, I know Bonaducci's been on TV since the 70s, and he was the obnoxious, cute little kid on that show, but to me, I don't think in his entire career he's become comfortable in front of the camera. Like, he can show you energy, he can, like, make big noise, but he doesn't... I'm never, I'm never lost in the performance, I never get carried away by the character, and I feel that almost uniformly about the cast. So, what this movie has to give me is the monster, and the monster... <laughs> is terrible it's it's 
it's terrible. Like as a producer, I would say if if the effects are that bad, we're gonna have to show it as little as possible, but we're gonna have to build up to it. We're gonna have to use suspense. We're gonna have to like you know keep the people on the edge of their seat, and you know hopefully they'll forgive us because we've worked their nerves enough that when the creature shows up, sort of like people argue against Jaws effects not being great in the third act of Jaws, but we like the movie so much we put up with it, you know. But this movie just seemed to, everybody agreed upon it. The cast is a completely C minus, actors gotta eat cast, nobody wants to be here, everybody just wants a paycheck. And the effects are shitty. Like, it really feels like everybody set out to make a shitty Bigfoot movie. And I resent that. <laughs> I do. I want a good Bigfoot movie. And if you're gonna put all these resources, if you're gonna bother to make a film, bother to at least try to make a good one. There was very little love put into this. I mean, later, you always like, I know, to give out awards on the show. And I think the most pertinent award for a Bigfoot film of any kind is the Gorilla Suit Award. How good is their Gorilla Suit? Right. And this is already the worst. We just want to spoil that right now. So little love is put into it. I would say, though, Larry, it felt like to me that somebody had put more thought into the script than into the animation. Right. The animation was an afterthought. No one even wanted to do that. The script, I actually will say that it would work as a 22-minute cartoon rather than a 90-minute live-action movie because you have these two grumpy old men who have a stupid feud going back to each of them having been intimate with one another's mothers back in the day. One's now an environmentalist, one's cynical anti-environmentalist, and it leads to this wacky moment where they're fighting on Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore gets trashed. They both die. But a statue, an incredibly ugly statue, is raised to them and their friendship at the end. And when I tell it that way, it sounds kind of funny. If you don't drag it out and add all this unnecessary nonsense. Or play it funny. If your creature is ridiculous, and if, I'm sorry, your cast is ridiculous, maybe lean into that. Give it that sort of crazy personality that I so seem to miss lately in, in, in genre movies. Don't be bland sauce. Have some measure of ambition. Like, I, I, I take it a little bit more personally. We're going to talk about a lot of low-budget movies in, these, in this episode. But I'm going to say mean things about the other low-budget movies, but I'm not going to say they weren't trying. And I think the thing that I resent here is that I can tactily feel the lack of effort. Bruce Davidson is an actor, and maybe he wanted to try his hands at directing, and this was something really cheap and low stakes that he could just do as a lark. And on behalf of anybody who had a real story to tell and a real passion for it, you know, you're taking up someone's seat, right? Definitely. As I noticed, yes, yeah, some of these are micro-budget movies, and you feel bad for the people making them, but here, so much, they had so many resources, clearly, this seems like a cash grab. People had money, they could have made a good movie. I think, again, it's the acting lets it down, because the two lead actors are terrible, especially Danny Bonaduce. Even when he's seeing people dying, he's in the scenes of urgent action where the monster attacks a helicopter, because it's enormous, and pulls it down, he's like, Oh no, Yeah. please, we have to do something. There's no intensity, no urgency. He doesn't believe anything he says. It's let down by acting. It's let down by the effects, obviously. And it's let down by the fact that there's so much padding because it is an idea for a short cartoon rather than for a full-length movie. 
but I do think they know it's funny. They're not failing to lean into the funniness when the final shot of the whole movie is this ridiculous statue to these two guys who hated each other right. that has been put up in front of the now destroyed Mount Rushmore. Well, then it was funny without the part where I laughed, I suppose. <laughs> I'm only laughing now, actually, just remembering it, because in the context of this long, dreary slog of a movie, I was not amused either. No, and it's a, a constant thing with these big monster movies that I'm noticing, the the Meg movies and, like, the, the whole Godzilla universe. It's a different thing when you're dealing with a huge monster. A huge monster is not really useful for jump scares because they cannot sneak up on you and these movies keep on trying to do this and it's a miserable failure every time. It's like a, a T-Rex isn't going to sneak up on you. They, they're just they're too big for that. <laughs> well, the alternative is stupider if we think of both Cloverfield and also the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. The alternative is to create some kind of mini monster that accompanies the main one, like right. the baby Godzilla's hatching in the arena, and that arguably is stupider. And Bigfoot's got to be enough, damn it! You're making a Bigfoot movie, and then again, and this movie is reliant on us asking no questions. But if this gigantic Bigfoot has existed for so long, how has no one noticed this? <laughs> like, let's be real here. This movie's fake, Brandon. Yeah, I think it's not the kind of movie that's about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm bothered by how much Danny Bonaducci's friend, I don't know, he was in the Brady Bunch or whatever, the other old has been. The Partridge family, yes. Yeah. His character is still no. I think he was in the Brady Bunch, the other oh, right. actor. Okay. There were two. So, yeah, so the other washed-up actor, he's the environmentalist. And he keeps wanting to protect Bigfoot, not only after he's killed so many people, but after he's killed his 30 years younger than him lady friend as well. Yeah. It's like the different parts of the script, maybe they were lazily put together. The coin never drops for him that this creature is dangerous. <laughs> well, I guess they're just trying to be balanced, you know? <laughs> they're both wrong in their way, but in that measure, we don't like either of them. We don't like the childish, you had sex with my mother thing that they seem to think is so hilarious. <laughs> like... <laughs> We don't invest in any way, and I know it's not supposed to be like a quote real movie in that way, but like, <laughs> give us somebody that we care about when they die. You know? Well, the Alice Cooper, the Alice Cooper cameo could have been worse. How would I, I say that? Because it wasn't winky. It was long. It was extended. He had a role within it, not just haha. It's Alice Cooper. I like that part. Well, and I just like Alice Cooper, and, like, his presence in Wayne's World is one of the best, like, music cameos in any movie. And, of course, it wasn't going to live up to that. But as far as, like, you know, past their best before date cameos, yeah, Alice Cooper takes the prize in this movie. I mean, I don't know if he wants it. I don't know if it's something he would brag about, but Alice <laughs> Cooper was in Bigfoot, and he did not embarrass himself. Unlike, I feel, every single other person involved, top to bottom. Heavy sigh. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie? I feel like I've wasted a lot of uh, people's time on this, including yours. <laughs> well, that's all I wanted to add, Larry. I was going to say that if everyone involved in this should be ashamed, that includes the person who put it on our list. So well done, sir. <laughs> Let's hope this is the worst movie that we're talking about on this <laughs> list, right? <laughs> Good enough. Thank you.
is something out there. It's coming. So, uh, writer-director Ryan Schifrin, I hope I'm saying that right, is pretty open about the fact that, like, he had a minimal budget, and there were there were cards that he could play. He had connections to get people in for like a day to have like genre cameos in this movie, <laughs> and he was going to openly borrow from Hitchcock's Rear Window. He was going to unabashedly attempt Rear Window meets Sasquatch. That is what Abominable is. Matt McCoy is a recently, you know tragically injured fellow who's learning to uh, adjust to his new life in a wheelchair who is staying out in this cabin is being provided for by this terrible awful nurse guy and who spends his time voyeuristically or or not watching a group gaggle of uh, attractive women across the way uh, do all of the horror movie genre cliches that you'll ever want to see and a few more yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely an is-what-it-is movie, but I do think that Abominable is going to stand up a little bit higher and prouder than some of the other ones in this list because it does have a backbone of a story to it. It does have genre faces in it that makes me smile. The creature, although maybe not convincing, has personality, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not laughing at it, at least not every scene. <laughs> like... I wanted to go with the movie so there were things that I could hold on to, whereas there were other movies in this selection that we're talking about in this episode of Rankin Review, I was not able to find things to cling to. I was able to find things to cling to. It may not be a proud recommendation, and on another list it might rank way lower, but I was considerably more satisfied with my time with Abominable than I was with Bigfoot and Bigfoot Country and some of the other ones that we're going to be talking about. Um, is it a great movie overall? Well, I think maybe that will be the discussion I have with you. But on this list, on this topic, on the grade of what were you trying to be and how close did you come to that goal, I'm going to score some points for Abominable. It gets there enough, but I'm willing to hear a second opinion. Well, there are a lot of things to take into account here, Larry, you're right, and we are grading on a curve here. First thing I wanted to say is that um, any true fan of the show is going to be aware of the fact that I mentioned it many years ago when we did our first Bigfoot series, actually, I alluded to the whole Bigfoot meets Rear Window movie, and it really is, just to be clear, what this most reminds me of, lately I've been doing a lot with ChatTPT because as an educator I need to know about this new AI, generative AI tool that my students are using. And one of my favorite things to do is ask it to do a treatment and a plot summary, <clears throat> or rather a pitch and a treatment for a sort of movie matchup. And right. so the fun is finding movies that are the most dissonant they can be, like give me a movie that combines elements of You've Got Mail and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Did a very good job, actually. Uncle Buck and Silence of the Lambs and so forth. And this feels, this really feels like somebody tried to make that movie. It is rear window, only you replace murder with Bigfoot mauling. That's so right. So that sounds like a charming idea, 
I don't know. If the execution is so eccentric, though. It is so weird. You watch this. It's not just the Hitchcock tribute, the Hitchcock-esque music and things. It somehow feels like it's from the 1980s. It's kind of odd. It's a 2006, I believe, movie. But it feels dated and not just in a we're paying tribute to Hitchcock way. It's very stylized in a way I don't necessarily like. I will say, though, I do agree they have a really interesting gorilla suit. Yes. Basically, I'd say that the Bigfoot in this, it's very close to the Harry and the Henderson school of things, including that it has a face that's goofy enough to not be scary. You can't really take it seriously. They've got some good puppetry work and things. It's unashamedly, beautifully artificial. Yes. You know it's just a big puppet and costume, and you go with it. I think just because it's tactilely there, we, we appreciate that more. Especially when they do the close-ups on the face. Nobody's being fooled that this is an articulated mask. But uh, I, I love that, you know, the actors were little, were reacting to something in the room. And that, you know, and a real effort was made here. And uh, there's some reveals, too. We do we do find out that there are more than one Bigfoots in the... <laughs> big feet? Bigfoot? What do you call a herd of Bigfoot? Tell us, Internet. <laughs> there may be a boogeyman or boogeyman in the house. That's yeah. right. I think maybe the problem with the movie, other than, like you say, it's roughshod. I find it charming. I, I, I did uh, an episode with Matthew recently about a bunch of retro horror movies, and I just talked about they have an excess of personality. The acting's not always there. The special effects aren't always there. The execution's not always there. There's something wonky about almost every corner, but you feel the real tactile personality of the person behind it. Like, there was an individual telling their individual story. And uh, warts and all, I kind of respect that. But on a base level, the suspense, oh my God, is the killer going to catch him or is he going to be able to? It doesn't marry well with the creature feature of ripping the topless girls in half and the entrails and the boobies. Both of those things I like. I like a suspense thriller that's going to make me eat my hand, and I like sort of an exploitive, violent, sexual thriller. But I, on some level, I feel like you're one or the other, and in the attempt to be both, it it might have hurt the movie. But I'm going to be very forgiving. You got Jeffrey Combs, you got Lance Henriksen, you got, you got all of these great genre faces showing up. Hey, Wallace at the beginning, too. That's right. And just, you know... it. Paul Gleason, I believe, the the principal from uh, The Breakfast Club. I don't know, I just always like that guy. These faces keep showing up, and that puts a smile on my face. But at the same time, it just takes you out of the movie just a little bit, right? You're always hyper-aware that you're watching this B-C-grade Sasquatch movie. The difference is that, for the most part, I largely had a smile on my face. And unlike a lot of the Trudge Through the Woods movies that we're going to be talking about, the movie moves. Well, I, I kind of disagree there. My biggest critique is the pacing and the structure of the story, and maybe it is the absurdity, too, because it is different, as you said, to be watching a house next door thinking a murder took place versus seeing the Bigfoot kill them one by one, and yet somehow the Bigfoot doesn't ever come over and kill him until the very end. He's somehow able, in this artificial way, to witness all this slaughter the protagonist not to do anything about it the police just ignore him he has to drug the nurse who doesn't take him seriously yeah. and yet he's watching as the Bigfoot kills them one by one the setup's really artificial 
and the, the Lance Hendrickson cameo in the middle, and it really is just a little cameo, there's just a moment in the middle of the Bigfoot stalking these women in the cabin where Lance Hendrickson, Jeffrey Combs, and some other guy are out in the woods, and they all get killed, and then we go back to the rest of the movie. It's like a mini-movie. Really movie. It's, yeah, it's really clumsy how it's put together that way, so the structure, the pacing was not satisfying to me, and that would be my biggest critique. But I mean, Weirdness it, is a choice. Weirdness is a choice. Bad pacing is not forgivable. The hunters getting mauled was just like, well, we're paying to see Bigfoot kill people, so I guess I was forgiving of that. Uh, I just get so tired of seeing endless scene after endless scene, which we will talk about in the future, of people wandering through the same patch of wilderness, yelling out somebody's name, or just fighting with each other, you know? Like, <laughs> this guy wants to convince people that a Sasquatch is killing these girls, and he's having a hell of a time doing it, and he's got both a mental and a physical impairment, and... There was more going on in this movie for that very reason. <laughs> Matt McCoy, I don't know, he's sort of an interesting, perhaps sad story. Like, he replaced Steve Gutenberg in the Police Academy series. He was in Deep Star Six, a guilty pleasure underwater movie with Matthew Risling and myself. Um, and he's in L.A. Confidential very briefly as this movie or television star who was on this TV show that Kevin Spacey works on. And I think in that movie they're kind of hitting on this Matt McCoy thing. Is it like, he kind of looks like an artificial actor kind of guy. He looks like a game show host or a car salesman. He's got that kind of vibe to him. And I'm sure if I met Matt McCoy, he's nothing like that. But for some reason, that's how he reads. And this is supposed to be a very sympathetic everyman. And at times just... The Matt McCoyness, his essential self, kind of gets in the way of that. I think he needed to be a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more uh, fragile, I guess, than he's being played. Yeah, this is another example, and maybe it's intentional. It's not necessarily a fault, but I felt off everything feels in this movie, just a little. Yeah, but again, I don't know if it's because I'm so unhappy with the rest of the list... I, there is something here. I, I, I can't exactly put my finger on it, what it is, but I feel like there is something here that is missing in a lot of the other Bigfoot movies. That might just be the heart. I might just feel that this writer-director had a vision and really put his back into it, you know? Am I hearing? I'm, I'm anticipating now. I'm looking forward to hearing you say, Larry, that maybe this is the best movie of the six. I want to hear that happen and then have people actually see the movie. I think it's going to be very amusing if that takes place. I'm not going to give away the rank, but it's it, it's not at the bottom of the list. Okay. <laughs> um, the, the female characters, uh, as they're getting whittled down one at a time, I mean... I can't tell you much about their names or their characters or what they were about. They were game players, I guess. They were willing to, you know, put up with the makeup effects. They were willing to wear little to nothing at times. Like, they were... They understood the movie they were making and they were okay with it. I always get this weirdly gross feeling when I kind of feel like the actresses feel uncomfortable with it. <laughs> and I didn't get that here. I feel like they understood this is a genre movie and... You know, part of that is the forbidden. We're here to see violence and sexuality, and let's try to have a, at least a little bit of fun with it. And, so. and very conveniently, this just reminds me of the absurdity of the setup. The bathroom has a window Huge bigger window. than most people's living room windows are. <laughs> yes. The bathroom 
the, the window starts about two feet from the floor, without exaggeration. So, so Matt McCoy can, of course, see everything, both them showering before Bigfoot attacks and afterwards. Yeah. He gets to be a voyeur in this really artificial and impossible way. <laughs> and again, if the movie was, was, like, maybe even more ambitious, it could be like... Is he somehow manifesting this beast? Is this, like, <laughs> some sort of affect of his, you know, broken oh, yeah. psychology? No, 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 no. Sasquatch is there, and he's tearing apart these scantily clad ladies. <laughs> but all of the, the sort of pervy... I like pervy... your idea better, Larry. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think this is your skill as a, a rook coming out here. You're already improving the script. I'm serious. <laughs> But, like, he comes off as scary, the Matt McCoy character, because he's clearly spying on them. It's not a malicious, pervy way. He just has nothing to do but stare at the window with his binoculars. And, uh, you know, if someone's going to be showering in, a, in a, a bathroom with that level of exposure, I think that there's there's guilt on both sides there. I'm just saying there's guilt on both sides there. But I didn't feel gross about the exploitation, and uh, I appreciate that. Sometimes... Sometimes I feel gross about, you know, that woman didn't need to take her top off. That was kind of unfortunate and unnecessary, but I don't know. It just felt like part of the map of the, the game that we were playing in this movie. I accepted it. Uh, you know, I, I put up with the nudity. <laughs> All right, sounds good with me, Larry. I think we were yeah? successfully. There's nothing else you want to say about uh, Rear Window meets Bigfoot? This really says it all very well. All right. Boom. So, it's agreed, right? We stay off the main trail? Don't do it! Kids have no idea. I just saw something. Guys, I only have three bullets left. My gun is not gonna kill whatever that is. Look what it's done! Never you shot it! I don't even know why we're still alive. We're a tree from the ground! Okay, so uh, Bigfoot Country is micro, micro budget filmmaking, and uh, my heart goes out to it because I've made micro budget filmmaking, and especially shooting outside in the woods at night, it's not easy. It's actually really, really like tough work to do. And when you're, everybody on the set's their first time making a movie, I don't know, like, I will definitely, you talk about grading on a curve, I will definitely be more forgiving of a micro-budget movie. That said, there are certain things that you do need to deliver upon as a, a genre movie for you to get the complete pass. Just finishing the movie, although a Herculean task in itself, is not enough. You need to tell me a story and you need to, you know, deliver on some level. And I think, not so I'm not burying the lead on this, the great sin of Bigfoot Country is that 
we never it the, they take the Blair Witch tract and that we never really get a good look at our Bigfoot at any point. And like I'd love to say that this was a brave choice of the movie, but I I can't I can't do that. All it is is like 80 minutes of teasing us for a creature that we never see. Bunch of people walking circles in the woods, chattering away endlessly at each other. And a few moments where I can see, you know, there's some talent here. Like there's moments where the film just works for a few seconds and you're like, oh, come on, like stay with that track. But inevitably it falls back to amateur hour in the woods and the tease that we never get a payoff for. I, I would have been so forgiving of this movie if in the third act it all came together in some way. I would have put up with a lot of the scenes that went on too long. Or, you know, the playing music while the car drives for too long. Or as you mentioned right before we recorded, the really on-the-nose local warns these kids not to go into that particular patch of woods. I would have forgiven a lot if the movie went somewhere. But for me, this movie felt like a long walk to nowhere. It is a very short, but very long-feeling movie. And I say that with no joy, but that, I think, is the truth of Bigfoot Country. Or am I wrong, Brendan? <laughs> well, this really is an example of the sort of the subjectivity of this. I agree that it's not a well-made movie, and I try to give them credit like you. I especially thought... For a movie that's so terrible in other ways, the cinematography was all right. It's not one of the films that I've seen quite a few on Amazon Prime, which is basically worse than YouTube at this point. You'll see those films where the moment you see it's worse than home video, video footage right at the start. You turn it off in five seconds because it looks so ugly. They avoided that. They, it looks nice. It doesn't look immediately cheap or bad or incompetent. So good points there. But the reason I guess I think I like it more than you is that I laughed a lot. Right. There's some bad movies that are just boring slogs, and I thought this was hilarious. I was cracking up this morning with my daughter when we were watching this scene. My daughter's 13 years old, and we're watching it this morning, and when they're in the bar and the local warns them not to go out there, it's so unintentionally comic, because obviously maybe they didn't think of this till later or something went wrong. You pulled to this really tight close-up on the local guy's face. He's not there in the bar with them. Nothing matches, even on the background. Right. And he just says in the cheesiest way, he also looks like Slavoj Zizak, which makes it a little funnier, too. Like, don't go out there! In the cheesiest, goofiest way possible. He's got a little, like, almost like a, a main lighthouse keeper hat or whatever on. So funny. And all throughout it, it has these crazy moments. And so, is this bad difficult and bad hilarious and this was bad hilarious for me there's an actual line of dialogue i tried to write down a couple here where someone says they hear an odd noise and by the way it's one of these terrible stock sound effects you'll have to get it and edit it in when you <laughs> actually do the video i'll give it to you one of these terrible stock sound effects it sounds more like a dog to me than anything else like <laughs> or something and someone actually says was that a bigfoot yeah, it sounded like it. I loved it. What can you do with that? Well, I think what you're talking about here, though, is the difference between laughing with a movie and laughing at a movie. Um, and uh, typically, like, 
that is more my kind of bad movie. I like a bad movie that doesn't realize how bad it is. I think where I have trouble with this one is that because it's closer to being a good movie, it hurts more a little bit. Like, you could see, like, it's not terrible. The character dynamics are familiar, but it... <laughs> you know... Sorry. They're familiar, but they could be workable. I like the whole death by human error that happens in the movie. Like, uh, uh, they, they weren't able, clearly able, to show us the Sasquatch violence. So they showed somebody accidentally get shot by a panicking, you know, quote-unquote survivor. And uh, I, I do like those moments in movies where, you know, death by human error. It's a, <laughs> The nerves of their characters cause as much problems as the actual problem in the movie. But well, it's not enough actually, to save things. Actually, they kind of overdo that trope because I don't think the Sasquatch kills anybody in the movie. <laughs> One guy shoots himself in order not to be killed, which is strange considering that it doesn't have an illustrious record of death. Someone else is shot by another person panicking, and one person gets hit by a truck on the road by that same Slavoj Zizak redneck who was right. there before. So I don't know if the... Bigfoot actually kills anybody in the movie now that I think about it. It might have just been Harry from Harry and the Henderson trying to say hello. Well, and that's the other funny thing, both the YouTube description and in the movie itself, they keep saying that they've brought this on themselves because they shouldn't have shot Bigfoot. Twice, characters say, because we injured him, he's trying to hurt us. But if you watch the movie, He's growling, he's aggressive, and he charges at the one character before the shooting. Yeah. So they seem to be very eager to blame themselves for this, but I don't really... When you play the tape back, it looks like Bigfoot is far more to blame. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I, I, I wasn't digging super deep looking for subtext in, <laughs> in the movie as much as I was cheering for it. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, I think maybe shooting myself before having my guts ripped out by a, a Bigfoot might seem like a viable option, but uh, I felt like, yeah, we were supposed to fear and understand the Bigfoot as aggressive. They weren't completely destroyed by themselves, but I'm saying that the reason the script did that wasn't because they were being clever, it was because they did not have the ability to show us right. the Sasquatch attacks. And my point is, if you don't have the ability to show us Sasquatch attacks. Maybe you shouldn't be making this movie. <laughs> Maybe you should be making the Blair Witch movie. Maybe you should be doing a more tactile suspense movie and not pretending that you're a creature feature. Because you're not. You, if you don't deliver the goods as a creature feature, then you're, you've misrepresented, misrepresented the product. And how can the viewers not be a little bit pissed off by that? Especially us patient viewers. Because I guarantee you a lot of people stop this movie, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes. They're just like, no thank you. There's a prolonged found footage sequence at the beginning of this movie where these hunters walk slowly towards something and then run away from something. And it, it, it's just frustrating. It just doesn't... What are we doing, you guys? What are we doing? We're adding to the runtime. That's all we're doing here. Well, not to belabor it, but it, this is important. The guy is pinned under the log. He has a gun. Right. He at least should have tried to shoot the Bigfoot, but also, in this other way, shooting himself in the head to avoid it when the Bigfoot has zero kills at this point to his record just does seem a little pessimistic. Right. I would want to live a little bit more and try a little bit harder. <laughs> uh, but also, you say the character dynamics are familiar 
they're familiar to people who went to middle school. I didn't, um, but I was homeschooled, but my daughter's in it now. And it was the only plot before the Bigfoot arrives is that one guy likes the other girl and one guy likes the other girl. And they endlessly come up to each other in opposite combinations and say, can you tell her I like her? Yes. Oh, I think she likes you, dude. It yeah. was truly middle school. It was embarrassing. Tell you what, I'll pass her a note at recess. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I, I don't, it's a terrible thing. Like right away, when you see them in the car driving up there, you're like, all right, this is the scene where we have to learn a little bit about each one of the characters as they drive to their doom. And you're already like, oof. And then like the guy, the voice of doom who warns them to go away. Oof. But you're kind of forgiving of that too because it is a genre expectation. But boy, could it have been handled better. You know? <laughs> It could not have been handled better than that close-up shot of his face. Than that tight close-up that makes it clear he's not actually there on the day they're filming. There's that desperate, genius. desperate editing throughout the movie, too. Like, whenever they get lost, we'll cut to a shot of a tree branch or to a drone shot of the woods just to get us out of that scene and into another scene. But they're just walking in circles, talking about nothing. <laughs> Yeah, this is the sort of movie, the level of characterization where someone should have told them they made a mistake to have two men with beards and two women with brown hair. <laughs> so at least you couldn't say the bearded guy and the beardless guy, the blonde lady, the brunette, you know, because that's normally in these movies what you do to guide yourself about the characters. Um, but I will say, and this is the faintest of phrase, Unlike the first Asylum Bigfoot movie, I didn't hate everyone. I was indifferent to their fates in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a high praise. So um, here's a challenge for you. I mean, other than you laughing at it, say something complimentary about the movie. I, can, can, you, can you find something? I, I said it at the start. It was beautifully filmed, not in the broad way of imaginative shots or anything like that, but just the, the individual shots, the lighting, the colors, didn't immediately strike me as some cheap crap. Yeah. It was, in that sense alone, a step up from the video that I filmed with my kids. Yeah. Hey, I've shot drone footage for my movie too, and there's a few times where they're making little adjustments with the drone, but I can tell, I'm like, I wouldn't have kept that in the movie, but uh, I, I feel you. <laughs> oh no, there, well, there's another scene where, where the, the camera is out of focus at first and only comes into the focus on the actress like three seconds in. Yeah. They kept it. And then you have to ask, was that the best shot or were they just trying to get through the editing process? <laughs> you know what it's like, Larry. They were tired, they were working hard. Yeah. And nobody was getting paid, and no one probably got paid. But hey, they got their movie distributed, so uh, that's the benefit of, I guess, having Bigfoot in your title, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not mad at this movie, okay? I, I am indifferent to this movie. I was mad at Bigfoot, and like I was sort of guiltily charmed by, you know, uh, Abominable. This one, it just passed through me. I have already forgotten it. Like, there's... Honestly, like, if someone asked me to write a synopsis of this movie for you right now, I would C-minus at best. <laughs> like, I've already forgotten it. That's the same for me. Before we began our discussion off-air, I was just trying to say, well, which one was this? Um, what happened exactly? 
and even the name, I wasn't sure whether I remembered the events more clearly, but even whether they associated with the name Bigfoot Country was unclear to me for quite a while. So memorable it is not. No. Let's move on, shall we? See what? The big man. Big legend with the second appearance of Lance Henriksen on this episode. Yay! I sound like I'm joking, but I legitimately love Lance Henriksen, and he's barely in this movie, which is lucky for him. <laughs> Big legend, uh, I guess it doesn't have as specific a format to follow as Abominable in that it was like stealing everything from a different movie, but we have a completely basic revenge movie. Dude's loved one gets killed by Sasquatch in the woods. Dude's life is destroyed by that event. Dude returns to said woods to seek vengeance. Then dude gets recruited to become a monster hunter for a movie that never gets made. I've just saved you 85 minutes of your life. What it does bring to it, other than Lance Henriksen, <laughs> uh, that, that I think Bigfoot Country failed, is we do eventually get a decent look at the creature, and it is... D delivers the goods in a way that that previous entry utterly failed. At the very least, the promised confrontation does take place. Is it satisfying or enjoyable to watch? I'm going to give it a hard no. <laughs> but um, it doesn't fail in its... Like, the trailer for the movie is honest. It is what it is. It's not false advertising. This is a dirt cheap... Bigfoot fight movie and it takes a long time to get to where it's going but it does eventually get there I guess but once again this is not high praise the, why is it so hard to make a good Bigfoot movie like I will forever be confused by this like but uh, here again we see another swing and to my mind a miss uh, I'm suspecting you're on the similar page yeah, I, I found this, in many ways, a really tedious movie. That said, I actually really liked the first ten minutes of it. The first ten minutes of this, I thought were done really well, where the man and the woman go out in the woods, and the woman gets killed by Bigfoot. Really well done. There's a nice bit of suspense where he sets up a little string with a bell, you know, outside the tent at night. You just know that when they're in the tent, they're going to hear the bell ring and so forth. But it gets really dumb really fast. I would say that more than Bigfoot Country, 
this is a movie striving to meet the 85 minute runtime. Yeah. There's a long scene with the character and his mother, played by Adrian Barbeau, who's another has been actress who they're happy to have in the cameo, and maybe because they're just glad to have her, but it's so long. It's so pointless. And some awkward ADR in there as well, but from that point on, the movie really just lost me. Because, again, to give my pitch, here's how I would improve <laughs> Big Legend. All of the stuff that happens in between his wife dying and him returning to the forest, those are all deleted scenes, okay? You can fast forward two years later or whatever when he, you know, he comes out on this mission to hunt the Sasquatch. But what I want to see is, like, some skilled hunter, survivor man type of dude actively pursuing Bigfoot not to get his picture, not to be his friend, but to kill him. As a premise for a Bigfoot movie, that is completely solid. And you could go sort of survivalist on it, you know? Have a lot of silence, have a lot of behavior, see him setting these traps, you know? Somebody rewatch Predator and imagine it as a Sasquatch movie, you know? There are things that you can do, interesting things. But this movie goes the complete other way. <laughs> like... He's going to have prolonged sequences of him explaining, you know, what he believed happened, but how no one believes his story, and uh, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What are we here to see? Well, well, even the scenes where he is fighting Bigfoot are too drawn out. It happens too many times. Even if you had those parts, they're stretching that to the maximum. Early on, our protagonist goes back into the woods... Bigfoot attacks him in his truck and then suddenly runs away because this other guy comes up, this right. other hunter who's just like, I just feel like hunting Bigfoot with you, whatever, and the two of them run them together, and they fight Bigfoot multiple times, and Bigfoot goes away, they fight again, and every time you have a fight, and eventually the one less important character dies, the protagonist lives, but it diminishes the threat of the monster. The more you have this conflict, it leads nowhere. Yeah, They even fall back on the really the really the, the last refuge of someone who cannot create a compelling action scene is where the monster has the hero in their power and instead of killing them flings them <laughs> three times bigfoot throws our hero into the snow including right after he's been choking him to death ah take that you know <laughs> fall down into that pile of snow there just to kind of drag out the fight even longer. If he could speak, we would have a nice Bond villain monologue to explain his intricate plan of how he's going to eventually squish him. <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. No, don't. On the other hand, the the gorilla suit is very good in this. I agree with you there. It was kind of like a ghillie suit appearance, a lot of long, shaggy hair. You basically couldn't see the face of the Bigfoot, which is good. But it always that's. That's fine. I would rather that than, like, everything's out of focus. Or, like, you, you start to question either the character's sanity or your sanity anytime the Bigfoot is around. Is it affecting them in some kind of nightmare dream logic way? Do they have supernatural powers? Like, this is the level of confusion it will cause me. No. Here's a creature, and, you know, we got a little bit of the born identity sort of shaky cam editing during right. the fight, which is almost to be expected at this point, especially in a budget of this sort of scale. But they do deliver the creature, and you kind of have to with these movies. So that is points that I will put on the board for Big Legend. Fair enough, fair enough. I felt the story was still frustrating. Like, like the, 
the, the hero gets injured really massively. We see him sew his own wounds together and things. But yeah. I guess if you want a guy fighting a guy in a gorilla suit, it does deliver that. But The secondary character is irritating, though. You're right. The, like, the dude who just shows up, yoke, 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 I'm just here, wrong place, wrong time, and I'm going to completely dedicate my life to your problems, and uh, then I'm going to die. And you can actively feel the movie stop whenever they have a, a little stop and chat like no uh i don't know streamline 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 again i think i've said it before like if i could go back in time to working on that movie set i think the note that i would give the most is faster faster <laughs> get those lines out faster let's keep things moving and um I feel that desperate editing. I feel them trying to get to their 85 minutes, you know? And uh, I would rather make a really good short film than a really lame feature-length film, you know? Although in this case, the filmmakers want to make two lame feature films. We really do need to mention this incredible sort of epilogue to the whole story. Yes. Uh, he comes back to civilization and is tracked down by the man himself, Lance Henriksen, who goes and shows him a bunch of case files. Like, was Big Legend supposed to be the pilot for a TV series or, like, a series of movies? But this is a thing that has been happening more and more. Like, this is movie's been out for quite a few years now, but, like, where you're world-building. Every movie's got to set up the next three movies. And, you know, it, A, kills any kind of satisfactory finality ending that you can have for a movie and b is just as often as not a lame false promise you're promising a lame movie that nobody wants to see and that nobody will see and you're spending the last act of your movie on it this is something that i just don't do it do not do it there's a micro-budget zombie movie called automaton transfusion which i do respect the level of gore and the level of like enthusiasm put into the punchiness of this micro-budget zombie movie. But it literally ends with a to-be-continued. That never happens. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no bigger middle finger you can wave at your audience than to not bother finishing the story, <laughs> you know? So, yes, yeah, yes. I'm going to take lots of points away for the third act. As much as I do like Lance Henriksen, it's it's just more fat on a movie that has too much fat. It just seems so silly. It's like the final thing we see a title of post credit card like Lance Hendrickson and Guy will be back in their next thrilling adventure. And it presumes a little too much about how much we enjoyed this first adventure. Hey, I paid $5 for this movie in the 2 for $10 bin at Walmart, so they got my money, the bastards. I've only paid for one of these films, Larry. I am not proud uh, to say that all of these films are in my collection. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've been really short on it, but I, I, I already don't know what more to say about Big Legend. It, it, it's another one of these guys walks circles in the woods, waiting for Bigfoot to show up. I think we should take a lesson from the filmmakers of Big Legend, Larry, and know when to cut this short and not pad it out more than we need to. Quit while we're no longer ahead. Boom. My grandfather used to tell me stories all about this one soldier. As he got older, the stories got stranger. Some I believed, others I don't know. 
but it wasn't describing a man. Wallet, keys. It was more like something mythic, legendary. You didn't pull any swords from any stones, did you? But you might have done something. Something bigger, maybe. So how have you been? You look a little tired. What's bothering you? Things I could have done differently. Regrets. Now I shot someone during the war. I never wanted that. Even if he had it coming. And he did. You heard about the killings up north? What's the FBI have to do with it? Imagine all our worst fears about influenza and humans, bovine, swine, all of it coming true to life, only worse. It's the Bigfoot, Ed. They want me to kill it. It's the carrier of this plague type thing. Well, that's no good. If we cannot contain the beast, if we cannot destroy it, then it escapes. It could mean the very end of our world as we know it. You're the last resort. So the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. Like, I don't know if you haven't seen the movie, what images are conjuring in your head. But I felt like with a title that out there, it was there's going to be sort of like, obviously, one half will be like a Nazi exploitation kind of like inglorious bastards, bloodletting, revisionist history thing. Followed by a second half, which becomes sort of a fun old man versus creature feature type of vibe. And it actually put me in mind of a movie called Bubba Hotep with uh, Bruce Campbell. In that uh, when that movie was coming out, it, it formed a picture in my head of what the movie was that I was expecting. And when I saw the movie, it was so far from that that I initially had a hard time embracing it. I eventually did. I actually do really like Bubba Hotep. But... Uh, because it was so far from what I expected or maybe wanted, I, I, I had to find my own way in. I don't know exactly what I was expecting when I sat down to watch The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot, other than to love Sam Elliott, because I always love Sam Elliott. Um, but it it is so impossibly, earnestly straight-faced for how bizarre it is. Like... It is not telling you jokes. It is not winking. It is soulful. <laughs> it is like this, uh, maybe in the spirit, I, I'm watching for another podcast. I just watched Big Fish again. <laughs> uh, the Tim Burton movie about, you know, storytelling. And, and it it's sort of trying to be a tall tale, but in a very sort of straight-faced way. We take Sam Elliott's character very seriously. He is a wounded, traumatized, you know, post-traumatic stress veteran who killed a monster in World War II and is not particularly proud of it and is actually kind of wounded by it, who is then called out of retirement to kill another monster. That said, the two halves of the movie don't really feel like they belong to the same movie, and it is just so odd it's 95 minutes, but it feels somehow epic. There are moments that I think have real emotional punch, but I there's something undefinable and strange about the movie. I like it, 
but I don't love it. I I, I feel like I want to get to know this a, a little bit more. And like, if this writer director has more in him, like, is this his vibe? Like, I don't know how they came upon this movie. I'm not mad that they did, but in the end, I guess I'm not sure who the audience for this movie is. It's not a visceral horror movie. It's much more of a character drama. And it's very strange and slow-paced. So it's a very precise meal for a very precise sort of vibe. And I think if you catch that wave, you might really get into it. But if you're looking for Bigfoot thrills, maybe not. Uh, I'm, I'm perplexed and curious, but I don't hate it. I, it's just so unique that I can't completely dismiss it. So uh, I'm kind of right down the middle, uh, if I'm honest, about this movie. I am not ashamed that it's on my wall in the way that I'm ashamed that Bigfoot is on my wall. But uh, it's, it's so distinct that I think it is worth a day in court. I will say that. But what any one person will get from it, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think I've ever agreed with you more, Larry. I'd say 98% of what you'd say, I would say as well, in that I tell people that despite the wackiness of the title, it is played as straight and as sincerely as you could. So Sam Elliott is an old guy in the 80s, back in the 1940s. He was part of this special operation to assassinate Hitler. Unfortunately, what he learned is there's lots of guys who just pretend to be Hitler. It's how the Third Reich keeps going. And so he killed this one Hitler and they just acted like it didn't happen and kept going and Operation Valkyrie, the attempt, the actual attempt to kill Hitler in 1944, that killed another Hitler and then right. another one killed himself in the bunker at the end. So he realized evil is bigger than one man. That made him sad. He can't talk about what he did in the war with anyone. There was a woman he loved. Things didn't work out. And then he ends up having to kill Bigfoot. And this is prophetic because the movie I think is 2018. He's got a going to spread. There's a virus this animal has. Right. And he's got to kill Bigfoot to stop a pandemic, very prophetic of the actual COVID pandemic that's going to come two years after this film is made. So it's very sober. It's very sincere. And I also liked it without loving it. It didn't really grip me, but it was a well-made movie in many ways. It was interesting. I'd say the only way I disagree with you. So I didn't like the movie partly because the sentimentality didn't hit me it reminded me of a mediocre pixar movie okay it's the kind of thing they would do like up but less affecting with this old man thinking back over his life and either you really really identify with him or not so that i agree with you on that it didn't really get me in the feels quite as hard as it wanted to but i do think all the parts were integrated together because really it isn't a two-part movie it's a three-part movie because you've got the character in the 1940s trying to kill Hitler. You have him in the 80s being drafted to kill Bigfoot, but he's also thinking about his whole life. And so those segments where he's just there with his dog in his living room or thinking about how he lost the woman he loved, that's the third part that stitches everything together. So structurally, I actually thought it was just fine despite being thinking about a very strange structure. This man who did not one but two remarkable things. It just, I don't think I found it as moving as I think the filmmakers did. Right. I think they felt they were making something like Wally or Up, 
that's pitched at that emotional level and it missed just a little. Well, and it is a delicate balance. Um, the guys who did won the Oscar for um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the, the guys who did that before they made that movie did this movie called Swiss Army Man, okay? And it had Daniel Radcliffe playing a corpse, and I was not on board. It was one of these, like, like they took a huge swing, and it was weird, and it was out there, but it just it didn't connect for me. But if it connected for someone else, more power to them. I feel like this is in a similar environment with that. Like, there are people who I think might actually really, really love this movie. And I, I think I like it. I think I like it. But I think I'm going to, like, wait three or five years and then watch it again, knowing what it is. Because, again, like, I didn't know what I was walking into, but I was expecting it to maybe be fast and funny and dumb. And it was none of those things. It was none of those things. So I had to readjust. I also want to talk about, like, some of the imagery in it. Well, they're, in Canada, they set all these wildfires burning to sort of cut off the path of this Bigfoot that's spreading the plague. And there's a lot of images, and again, as the world is burning right now, of, of you know, Sam Elliott walking in that burnt-out environment or in front of this just red wall of heat. I don't know, that were really striking, that were just like, <clears throat> as an image by itself, hit me quite strong. And um, they were just full of moments. And I can't say enough good things about Sam Elliott. I mean, darkness washed over the dude. <laughs> You know, he's got that voice and he's got, you know, every year he gets more lines on his face and he just, it, this role was just absolutely right for him. <laughs> and uh, on the special features, uh, they do an interview with him and he seems to agree that like when the script came to him, he didn't know quite what to make for it, but he seemed to agree that he was the right man <laughs> for the job. Whereas when he was talking about the Big Lebowski and the Coen brothers, he was more like, so what am I doing here, guys? Like, uh, what, 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 I, I'm happy to be here, but what the hell am I doing here? Uh, he knew what he was doing in this movie, and I like what he brings to a movie. I love his voice. I love his vibe. So if you're a Sam Elliott fan, it's an easy, easy, uh, easy recommend. Yeah, it's someone the younger version of him in the 40s trying endlessly to propose to this innocent school teacher who he's in love with. They were weak in terms of writing and they were weak in terms of the acting since the young past tense Sam Elliott was not nearly as compelling or interesting. In fact, sometimes it felt hard to imagine how such a sort of dweeb ever becomes the hardened impressively... Guy hardened, macho Sam Elliott that we know. There no, you're right. strong disconnect. That was an odd casting choice. You're right. I agree. I was way more connected to the second half of the narrative than the first. But this is our Bigfoot episode, so I guess like we were leading into that. Um, so, and as obviously must be implied by our discussion so far, we get minimal Bigfoot. And I think because the Bigfoot is sick and feral and kind of a beast and even though it's like spreading this plague, it, it is kind of pitiable. Yeah, uh, uh, that was good. That I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, there were other interesting choices too. It was almost frightening how quickly it was almost, this is a movie where it was also only 90 minutes. It's like they've been forced to cut it down because it is about three minutes of film time from when he agrees to go hunt Bigfoot to suddenly he sees it in his sights and shoots it. 
Right. It happens so suddenly and abruptly, like that was it. You shot it already. I mean, then the creature survives. He chases and hunts it, but he finds it and shoots it so quickly. I was like, did I miss something? Yeah. And it's an interesting choice that way. And then the way the creature is characterized, it's not aggressive. Not at all. Well, I mean, it fights back eventually, but only when it becomes clear how determined Sam Elliott is to kill it. That too is good. He shoots it. He chases it. The Bigfoot dies, or he thinks it's dead, and Sam Elliott feels bad. He's going to burn the body, but as the fire starts to spread, we learn it was playing dead. Yeah. Reams jumps up and runs away, <clears throat> and that's good. That's good that it's thinking, I don't want to doesn't want to hurt Sam Elliott. It just wants Sam Elliott to go away, so why not pretend to be dead? Hope that'll work. Yeah. Only when it knows Sam Elliott is determined do we get a really brutal and in many ways very satisfying battle between them. And we definitely do get that. But, like, again, it's like these two old dogs, both past their prime, that seem to have a mutual respect. And again, so straightly played. This movie sounds ridiculous, and on some level it is ridiculous, but it's it's handled in this strangely gentle way. There's another movie that crossed my mind watching it called The Hunter with Willem Dafoe, where he's oh, hired, yeah, he's hired to hunt down this uh, extinct animal, as it will turn out, and uh, his sort of internal struggle with that and you know him relating to the beast i think i mean it's it's much more fully explored in that movie but it's a similar vibe here i actually i think that's a good comparison yeah he's hunting it turns out there's still a tasmanian tiger alive but he's got to hunt it and kill it and that's a good example of the difference in that for whatever reason i just felt a lot more for willem defoe's character it just grabbed me emotionally they clearly want that Maybe that's the only reason I'm so critical. In many ways, this this film, The Man Who Shot Hitler and then The Bigfoot, is a good movie, but it's aiming really high. It's aiming high. It wants you to be really moved by this person's whole life story, especially the very unconvincing romance subplot. Right. And if you're not, if it, it, it didn't it wants you to love this movie and because it wants to be loved and failed that makes me a little harsher on it. Uh, I, again, this is going to seem crazy, but I come to mind of the movie Field of Dreams, <laughs> where it's such an utter fantasy and such a big swing that people who love that movie love it, and people who do not love that movie find it like gives them cavities. It's just saccharine, you know, like, and... So I, I don't want to talk anyone out of the movie. It, but I, I don't think it's going to rank as high as people will, will, will want it to. <laughs> well, no, because we just said how imaginative the Hitler and Bigfoot parts are, but the romance part, tell me one thing that's surprising, interesting, or different about that. They want it to be sweet. They want it to be innocent. And I think making more interesting, offbeat, surprising choices, such as the way Bigfoot and Hitler were both characterized, would really have helped. Yeah. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't set up another movie where he was going <laughs> to show Sam Elliott hunting monsters throughout history. It is what it is, and I think it's pretty good at being what it is. But uh, it might not yeah, be what people are expecting. It's the director's first feature film, and I certainly hope he gets another chance to make one. For sure. 
Oh, yeah, Linda's going to stay up and watch it. It's part of her job. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm afraid after tonight, someone is going to have to stand guard. We're already in Bigfoot territory, where all those people were killed. Those stories, those horror stories you heard about in the forest, they're true. They're all true. who I don't know, and writer Mike Williams, who I don't know, full of a cast of people whom I don't know, Night of the Demon, a full-bore exploitation Bigfoot picture, rife with graphic violence and ridiculous sex scenes. So to start off, the acting is terrible, the music is distracting and terrible, <laughs> The story is kind of nonsensical and all over the place. And I I howled throughout the movie as I was watching it. Like, I couldn't believe what I was watching while I was watching this movie. I couldn't believe that I'd gone so far in my life and never heard of or seen this movie. It is batshit insane, but kind of hypnotizingly watchable for it. Like... There, I'm not going to say there aren't low points. I'm not going to say that there's stuff that's going to have you pulling out your hair. But it almost hits this, like, birdemic the room. Like, people should pay money to go see midnight screenings of this terrible Bigfoot movie. Because say what you will about Night of the Demon. You will not forget it. A lot of the movies that we talked about in this list, like, are pretty disposable movies. Kind of in one ear and out the other. Like, it just... There's nothing to cling to here. There is stuff in this movie that whether you want it to or not, will, you will carry with you for the rest of your days. My friend Scott Lehman and I did this uh, two-part Guilty Pleasures episode, and uh, this landed in my top ten. And it is very definitely one of these movies where there's so little to recommend, and yet there's so much to recommend. <laughs> so... It is so bad that it's kind of amazing. But it also has weirdly forward-thinking stuff in it. There's a found footage sequence in this movie from 1980. You know? Like, uh, the way that it's so aggressively balls out in its violence and sexuality. Like, even for the time, I think this was a pretty explicit and hard movie. And it wasn't an Italian movie. This, this is American-made. So, this is a hypnotizing awful, amazing Bigfoot exploitation movie, and it's going to rank higher than it probably should on the list, but I have a guilty affection for it. I would understand if you felt very differently, because <laughs> it's a very distinct meal, but um, wow, 
how did you what what sense could you make out of this movie <laughs> well i i'd say i i actually work with a lot of film studies people and one of my colleagues loves to say that any great film is really ultimately about itself in some way and i think this film describes itself very well when it says character says i can't believe i'm seeing this yes that's sort of the ultimate line that runs through the whole thing i think you're right you mentioned how it's not italian you can see the Ita influence of the italian giallo films in yep. the 70s and 80s although 1980 it, it's before many of the classics of the genre just in terms of the absolutely shocking, horrifying, unabashedly trashy stuff that we have in it. You could also say, we mentioned Alice Cooper at the beginning here, this is the musical equivalent of shock rock, or rather the <laughs> filmic equivalent of shock rock. Right. That in their own way, they're trying to do what Alice Cooper was doing with audiences in the 70s and 80s. Simply horrify you, I cannot believe they went there so i mean i just it, it's hard even to count the number of ridiculous visuals forget about horrifying concepts i mean this is a movie where bigfoot rapes a woman and then her father murders the half bigfoot baby when it comes out but even and we get to hear the baby screaming first of course too with its odd animalistic screams but just the visuals i think we all know the one scene where the biker is trying to take a pee at the side of the room. Oh, yes. He whips his penis out, and then a moment later, Bigfoot rips it off, which doesn't even make any sense anyway. Like, how did Bigfoot get close enough for him not to notice the Bigfoot was coming? And how did it get down low enough? If we think about the angle of attack he would need, but it doesn't matter. You want to see the guy's dick get ripped off. And you do. He supplies that. <laughs> you do. Yes. And it announces itself as what it is, like, right away. One of the first things you see, a guy gets his, like, head torn off, and a Bigfoot print is slowly filling with a pool of blood. Like, here we go. <laughs> and uh, we're going to meet this guy. He took a bunch of people in the woods. He's been disfigured. Everyone else is dead. What's happened? Let's go backwards and see this and play naturally, out. naturally, we're going to see how he gets disfigured in a very graphic way at some point. <laughs> yeah. But even that, like, yeah, that's what the movie's about. But what the movie's really about is, you know, two Girl Scouts being smashed together. <laughs> or, like, uh, just isolated moments of absolute, unbelievable violence. And even the stuff that is bad, which is, like, the acting is bad and the music is bad, it really kind of adds <laughs> to the experience somehow. There's a tactile thing that's happening. Like, this movie could only have existed in 1980, right? But, like, these decisions that we would never make today are still somehow just spot on. <laughs> like, if someone was trying to make a parody, like a <laughs> a sort of very self-aware parody of... Or what's that? Like, The Last Skeleton Cadaver was making fun of, like really cheap 60s movies that someone was trying to do that conceit with an 80s movie i could almost believe that this was it but it isn't it's not conscious of how all over the place it is it just is what it is it also feels as graphic as it is and as bloody as it is it has this weird cable 10 made for television font going on to it too that kind of disarms you like, it doesn't seem like a professional real film. It seems like an episode of television until some dude's dick gets ripped off all of a sudden. 
know, this film has sincerity going for it. What they are doing, they are doing with conviction. Yes. Filmmakers commit to the bit, and this is what matters. Again, we think you say it can only be made in 1980. Think of the spirit of punk. That's what it is. A bunch of people who can't sing and know they can't sing and don't care. There's the, the confidence with which this is done. I mean, so we do have a slender plot, as you say. A professor, yes. I say in quotes, <laughs> a professor takes a bunch of students out in the woods. I believe one says they're doing it all for extra credit. Yes. At one point, they risk their lives for extra credit going to the woods, hunting Bigfoot. They learn how, and this is, of course, awesome, that the Bigfoot became the center of a cult performs these creepy rituals with a giant fake Bigfoot statue and things that discover the horrible secrets of the Bigfoot cult. But it is all so transparently an excuse to give us these scenes of horror. And the best example of that is that throughout it, as the plot is going on, the professor will just occasionally do story time with his students. He'll say, I know this one time the Bigfoot killed somebody. And here and we go. Just cut away to a little little episode of violence and carnage so you've got the biker episode but there's also one i believe where uh, a man is like sucking a woman's nipples for two minutes before he's killed horribly and i think my favorite i mean because you go with the obvious one with the more obvious sex and violence but there's one where the brawny paper towel guy is out in the woods and he's just hacking away at this stick in a really unconvincing way. And the whole point of the scene is that this time, the Bigfoot will kill him with his own axe. There's a really long moment where the guy looks around. He can't see his axe. Where is it? And then this huge Bigfoot that, of course, dismembers people other times, does not need a weapon, still uses the axe to slowly first injure the guy and then really take him out. <laughs> All just put in there for its own sake. It doesn't contribute to the story. It's just a story the professor is telling. But the more you watch it, you feel that scenes like this are the reason the movie exists. Oh no, it is very much the journey, not the destination of <laughs> this picture, right? <laughs> in fact, in its own way, I have a feeling the spirit is a little different but i can imagine a young peter jackson loving a film like this very much and that in a slightly different mood and tone something like dead alive or meet the feebles being a tribute to this yeah it's a little bit a little bit less hyper than peter jackson but it definitely is possessed of that craziness where you just don't know what you're going to see next or, or, or if you want to see more. It's just, there's no when to the picture. There's nothing that it's not going to show you or no ugliness that it's not going to get into. Because when it does get into the backwood cults, because that's very 80s too, the whole satanic panic thing, um, it, it, it's already been such an ugly movie. And then we get, you know, the Bigfoot rapes this lady. And you talk about the, like, isolated moments, sort of the series of short stories about Bigfoot that we get. I wouldn't cut those scenes, but the basic craziness of, like, if we didn't have the flashback and it was just the professor talking to the kids, and he's like, and then the brawny man looked back 
and his axe was missing. What was he then? And so then he took <laughs> off his girlfriend's shirt and he kissed her naked breasts all over for several minutes. What are you? What are you doing? <laughs> this is not. This is. These are details that are not necessary. <laughs> like the movie is so bonkers. And I, I said the same thing with the retro horror episode. I I almost wish that movies like this could still get made, but there would be someone who would tell them to stop, or someone who would say, you know, like, what are you thinking? Like, this is going to get an X rating. There's no one that's ever going to see this movie. Like, there would be a voice of reason somewhere saying, what in the world are you doing? And there wasn't. And because of that... Night of the Demon is a movie that still exists and that we can watch today. Would it get made today? Absolutely not. Am I glad that it exists? Yes, I am. But it comes back to the same question that I started at the beginning. Like, I can't endorse this as a good movie. It's not competently made. It's like, is it a good movie? No, but is it an enjoyable movie? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I disagree in one sense. I'm not sure if I ever want to watch it again. Okay. There are very few people I would recommend it to. Okay. But it is absolutely competently made because it is effective at what it is trying to be. It's simply most other films, as I say, the problem with The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot is that it really wanted to be moving. It wanted to tug at your heartstrings. It didn't for me. This wasn't trying to. Yeah. It was trying to shock me, to horrify me. The music was perfect, for example. Nothing wrong with that. The acting, exactly what they needed for this. Every element to me came together to achieve the effect they were trying to create. We can debate whether that's worthwhile, whether we need a story that grosses us out and horrifies us and titillates us. But they did it. It could not have been better on its terms that it sets. But I think what distinguishes it is that it's not setting out to make a bad movie. Like, these choices weren't made to be cheesy. These actors weren't cast because, you know, they, they were a little bit wooden. Like, it was just all these discordant pieces somehow formed together to make this movie. Well, cheesiness was the goal, but such an extreme cheesiness. But do you, I mean, do you feel like it was intentional, though, the cheese in the movie? Or do you think that's just the way we see it now, looking at a movie from 1980, it's hilarious. I don't think the people making this really thought it was just sincerely scary. Well, they knew it was over the top. It was even better because it was so shocking. <laughs> they knew that people were going to laugh when they saw it. Be both scared, but also laughing because it is so over the top. And so by cheesiness, I mean that this just intense commitment to dial everything up to 11, to make it ridiculous on its own terms. I, I think, yeah, I don't think they would, they, they were not setting out to make a conventional horror movie. Okay. And they didn't think they were. They didn't just try to make, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some bland, competent horror movie and just uh, overshot the mark. A few too many scenes of people getting their dicks ripped off. <laughs> I think their goal was closer. And again, it's not the same either because it's all the universe was closer to what Sam Raimi did with Evil Dead right. 2. And that's what I agree Monster. with. I think they're trying to make a straight-edged horror movie, and it kind of came out a little bit ridiculous and over-the-top no, and exploded. I said Evil Dead 2, not Evil Dead. Oh, I see. 
Evil Dead 2, Sam Raimi was deliberately trying to be over the top okay. as opposed to the first one. And here too, yeah, it's not that they tried to make a straight horror movie and got it wrong. They wanted something just ridiculous that would, again, and we see this with so many of the wonderful Italian giallo movies from this era. You know, a zombie fights a shark underwater. Thank you're, you. You're doing this because we want to see a zombie fighting a shark underwater. Absolutely. And that's exactly the, the hole that this movie lands in for me. Because as much as I love Zombie 2, I can't really say that it's a great movie. And like I feel the same way about this movie. I, I put it on my guilty pleasures list. Like, you, you would register that for sure, right? Yes, I just, I think it's obvious that they knew they weren't making a good movie, just as again, Peter Jackson knew that Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles are not good yeah. movies in the sense most people think they are. Right. They're just uh, amazing for what they are <laughs> in their own way, exactly. in their own distinct way. They're kind of amazing and individual, and uh, the the movie's sort of been coming, slowly coming back. You could, there was a while there where you could only get it as like a collection, but now you can get yourself a copy of this movie. And if you're a little bit curious about it, like, I feel like we've been pretty upfront about it. Like, it's not good, but it's awesome. <laughs> oh, and can I also mention now, we'll have to discuss this more systematically in a moment, but we should mention the gorilla suit here, too. Once again, gives us a really interesting take on it. I kind of liked here too. I thought oh, if this was really a sloppy movie, it could have been done a lot worse. But they've got kind of a feral, bestial, basically a person on the front side and hair all along the back. Right. And I thought that was really good, really creepy, very effective. Again, you know it's a suit sort of in the spirit of Abominable, but it doesn't matter and definitely very creepy. So basically human, but just kind of more bestial in a way that worked really well because you end up seeing it a lot, especially at the end, which we talk about extended fighting with the monster. Indeed. It's just one gigantic shovel fight with a Bigfoot. Yeah, no, they, they deliver the Bigfoot. I mean, he is what he is when you see him, but like they deliver on that. And it's also like the complete other end of the spectrum of Harry from Harry Anderson, right? This is, there's nothing lovable about our Bigfoot in this particular picture, which I think I can endorse. Sometimes I want the mysterious, you know, letters from the big man kind of, Ah, oh, shucks, let's commune with nature, Bigfoot. And sometimes I want the exists or the Night of the Demon Bigfoot who just tears people's arms off and beats them with it, you know? Although, am I wrong? But is this the inspiration for suburban Sasquatch's notoriously hilarious Bigfoot sound? <laughs> it seemed to me that whenever the Bigfoot was there killing people, or no, or am I mixing it up now with Bigfoot? the earlier one we saw, but isn't this the one where the Bigfoot goes <laughs> whenever he's around? Yeah, no, and it's more of a prolonged, like an engine sound. He never lets yeah, yeah. up on it, yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as in Suburban Sasquatch where the director admits that he didn't loop it long enough, so <laughs> it sounds very mechanical as it loops every three seconds, but... Maybe, again, it's an intentional choice, but it's odd because of the very naturalistic gorilla suit they're using that it makes such a strange, surreal, mechanical sound. Yeah. But everything about the movie is odd and discordant. Like, 
Again, here comes an awkward, really long sex scene that, like, you get kind of impatient with. But at the same time, no, it's just no. exactly the what it needs to be. Like, it's like, yeah. this is perfect, and it's terrible at the same time. It's perfectly terrible. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a specific mood you got to be in for it, but uh, I, I sign me up. Like, I will revisit Can't this movie. Can't see it any better. It's one of those things where, like, if someone says they haven't seen it, and like, like I don't know if Matt's in town, and you haven't seen Night of the Demon. Oh shit! Okay, well, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> so. Can't see it any better than that, Larry. Sounds good. You've been warned. <laughs> So uh, Brendan and I are going to do two ranks, and the, the this first one I just now s- sort of scribbled down off the top of my head because I didn't realize we were doing it, but we talked about in our first Bigfoot episode, the gorilla suit. I believe you, you got yourself a copy of Planet of the Apes because of that <laughs> gorilla suit conversation, right? Uh, what has the best gorilla suit and why? So we're going to rank them. Um, typically, I let my guests go first, so uh, I guess... Why buck tradition? What was your least favorite Bigfoot or gorilla suit and why? Yeah, I just first of all want to say how important this is to the Bigfoot genre. I think this, not true of every horror genre the same way with a lot of vampire fiction, the look of the vampire may not be as important. I mean, recently there's a tendency to create some monstrous type being, but often they look like people and they could be great movies. So I think this is closer to werewolf, right? The, the werewolf genre in that sense, appearance really matters. The gorilla suit matters, and so do you want me to rank them from bottom to top, or we each talk about our worst? What do you think? Um, let, how about we? Yeah, we'll we'll trade them off. We'll start at the bottom. What was your okay. least favorite? Let's see if we agree. Oh, well, obviously, obviously, Sasquatch. This this sad bit of CGI and so little love. It was just so careless. No Bigfoot. No see. It's Bigfoot, not Sasquatch, or at oh, least Bigfoot, most of it. Yes. Okay, um, yes. I actually put in sixth place Bigfoot Country because at no point do we see Bigfoot. He's always in soft focus or just a shape or a silhouette. And uh, so we didn't get one. So I felt like that well, needed... I, I put that one as the second worst. And actually, it's a strong fifth for me because I like that... It was still kind of creepy, the view. You always had the bright sun shining behind it. You had the silhouette. One thing, it's, you know, the same thing with the shark in Jaws. Spielberg had a bad shark. He used it well. It's the same reason I'd say last time, the best gorilla suit of all, when we looked at the last bunch, was for Willow Creek. Right. We never saw anything. It was still very scary. It was very convincing. We never saw Bigfoot. So I think already we disagree a little because not only would I put Bigfoot Country fifth, it's a strong strong fifth. fifth. I think the only bad gorilla suit in this bunch was Sasquatch. Yeah, Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, well, Bigfoot was my number five because it was completely CGI and not for one frame ever. 
convincing. Like say what you will about some of the other bad suits or even the silhouettes. You can your brain can trick you into saying, "Oh yeah, that's really there. That's tactilely in the universe with the characters." And that is never coming close to being accomplished in Bigfoot. So, yeah. I just I don't know. I, I felt I couldn't judge the Bigfoot suit in Bigfoot Country because I never really felt like I saw it. <laughs> what about yeah, fourth place? That, that, that's that's using it well. That's a good use. Well, for me, for fourth, and I'm not really... I think we actually both agree it was good. Fourth is still abominable for me. And I did like it. It worked really well. It had a very cartoonish puppet face and things. But it was great that they embraced the cheesiness of it. And as a puppet, it was awesome. Yeah. It is the face that definitely tips the hand for it. I agree with you. I put it in the same spot in fourth place. But I do like it. Like, I do like it. Mm -hmm. But whenever we zoom in on the face, it gets a little Rawhead Rex. Did you ever see Rawhead (laughs) Where it's just got this maw that's unmistakably just not real. But now I just remembered that's my single favorite thing about Abominable is the puppet's mouth opens up super big, big. so it can like swallow a person's whole head, and that's amazing. Yeah, and I do like and I love it. It it looks like a rubber prosthetic because it is, but I still love it. <laughs> so, uh, third place, top half of the list. What do you got? Third place would obviously be Big Legend. I like the ghillie suit. Yeah, a lot of long creepy hair. Well, we're staying in agreement here. It, it's a little bit Chewbacca-y, and it's a little bit blurry, but we see it enough. It sustains. I didn't feel like they didn't give me my money's worth, or at least try to. So, yeah, third place, well, we're to agreeing. My point, to my point, they cover the face. I give all the points in the world for just knowing the weaknesses of your gorilla suit and not overstressing them. Right. I mean, for all we know, the face looks worse than an abominable but they knew to hide it by making him shaggy. Good call, guys. Cutting room floor. There you go. It's the same room you mentioned, Chewbacca. The reason he moans the way he does is you can't do articulated lip movement right. with that kind of a suit, and so George Lucas worked around it. Another great gorilla suit moment, really. Hey, so someone should just recycle Chewbacca's uniform for a Sasquatch movie, seriously. So, yeah, so then I bet we agree all the way because... Number five is, of course, going to be the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. You were right again, sir. <laughs> I, uh, I really did like that it was a feral, sick creature at the end of its tether. And so was yeah. Sam Elliott. And I felt a connection there, like between man and beast, as it were. Uh, and again, it was not what I was expecting, but I liked it. It was smaller, skinnier, weaker than we thought, but it also had a creepy monster face yeah. that looked really weird and didn't look fully naturalistic either, which also put you off when he stared into its face, almost like skeletal-like. It was rotting off or something. Very imaginative, very, very cool. One of the best parts of the movie. So then I guess we both agree that the best gorilla suit was Night of the Demon. I, I didn't know you liked it much. I felt I was tipping my hand there as we talked about it that the creepy bestial man-type creature they did was human enough to make it very creepy, and yet the hair all along the back of the body where it was hairless on front was a great touch. It allowed the maximum amount of interaction without, you know, spoiling the illusion for me. Like, it might not be the best looking if we were to have a picture of the, the costume or something like that, but I think utilized in the movie the way it was it was completely effective for that movie 
Um, I think that that movie is going to get over a little bit overbalanced in its praise because of just my personal affection to it. But I mean, making a movie is a collaborative effort and it is a Herculean tough task to do. And there's a thousand tiny little decisions you have to make and you have to prioritize, you know, what's important. And they knew this movie needed a good Bigfoot. <laughs> and you'll notice it's the only one where you can look into the eyes of a real human being yeah. in it. So in Bigfoot, it's all CGI. In Bigfoot Country, we never see anything. In Abominable, it's a puppet. And in Big Legend, the face is covered. And even in The Man, we just see sort of uh, some sort of costume. They don't look like normal human eyes where there's emotion, thought, and feeling because it's an actual person's eyes looking at you. That's, That's the right. only one where the actor can actually do a performance. Yeah. So because other than the, the bottom... Real, the face look reals with it. Yeah. Other than the bottom, though, we agreed, and I think that we agreed enough, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we're going to fight Pretty over eerie, that. actually. Pretty eerie. <laughs> Scary now. I'm worried. Um, I'm doubting that we're going to be quite as aligned in this actual list. But it's hard to get super passionate about a lot of these movies, too. So um, let's move on to the regular rank from Hero Rank and Review. Brendan, what was your least favorite of these six Bigfoot movies and why? This is hard. This is hard to do, of course. It's a strong field that we picked up. But I think, and I I know you're going to agree with me, it's got to be Bigfoot country all in all. They've all got their strengths and weaknesses. But it was pretty boring. Okay. Oh, you want me to go through the yeah, whole Yeah, let's list? do the whole list for okay, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So so I'd say Bigfoot Country at the very bottom, but so close to the bottom would be Big Legend. It had some parts I liked, but mostly I hated it even more because it wasn't even funny bad. So Big Legend would be fifth, fifth. on the list. Then I would say Abominable. I mean, there were some amusing elements, but it also annoyed the hell out of me. Let me see here. And I actually therefore have to put Bigfoot up at fourth on the list, just by default. Wow. Despite how bad it was in other ways, I didn't think it was paced badly. As I say, I mean, it went went down easy, as I would often say when I had to watch terrible movies. But it's a really tough call between that and Abominable. Then on the other hand, so you got all those four down on the bottom, but then a strong, strong second place is obviously the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. And of course, I just, I, because I will never forget Night of the Demon now that I've seen it, I can't help but give it first place in this. It'd be hard for it, in a sense, not to get first place in any list of movies because it's just so different. Yeah. It's just so different. It's like saying, you know, I said the whole what is the best kind of bear thing. It's ridiculous even to compare it. Even if you were comparing this to the best real movie you'd ever seen, it wouldn't really be a comparison because they're each trying to be so different. It's like asking if a tomato is better than a hammer. Yeah. Each has their function. This fulfills it well. So I got to give it first place on the list. It's weird with Night of the Demon too because it also has this vibe about it. Like if it wiggled a little bit to the left or right, somehow the whole thing would just tip over and fall apart. But it just never happens. It just stays this amazing experience somehow. Or I would argue 
argue because it's always fallen apart. It cannot fall apart. Right. It was never together. <laughs> if you've fallen down, if you start on the ground, you'll never slip. You got nowhere to it's fall. It's always a mess, exactly. So <laughs> no way to go wrong. So yeah, so tell me your list, Larry. Okay, well, uh, there's one major difference, but that's thrown off the list pretty hard. <laughs> My justification for putting Bigfoot at the bottom of the list is I think it's the only one out of these six movies that wasn't even trying to be a good movie. <laughs> I genuinely believe everybody there was there for a paycheck. Nobody <laughs> thought the movie would be any good. There was, like, I usually like to tell myself that this story, when someone's making a movie, that at least one or two people on set really believed that they were making something special. And I can't bring myself to tell myself that lie about Bigfoot. I was bored almost to tears by Bigfoot Country, but I wasn't angry at it. <laughs> so, I put Bigfoot at the bottom. I put Bigfoot Country in fifth place. But I can't imagine a scenario, now that they've been covered on the podcast, that I would ever watch either of those movies again. <laughs> Good night. Good night to those. So, yeah, that, that's, that's the made... Bigfoot was the big change on the list. Um, then in fourth place, I will actually go with a big legend. I'm going to give the edge on Abominable. I don't know, there's... It checked... Abominable, for all its flaws, checked more boxes for me than Big Legend. But I agree. I also ranked Abominable above Big Legend. I think we're going to agree completely now. Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was the other way around on your yeah. list. Um, so, yes... The bottom is Bigfoot, Bigfoot Country, then Big Legend. Uh, so coming down into our third position. Oh my God. Or second. Abominable. Abominable. Third is, is abominable. Third is abominable. Thank you. Second position, then therefore, is the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. And again, I think I said this in the review. It is a movie that I do plan to revisit, but give it some time before I revisit it. Um, I think I liked it. I might have liked it quite a bit, but I, again, it was such a different meal than what I was expecting. I also didn't mention in the review when we talked about it, Larry Miller, who's a stand-up comedian who plays his brother in a supporting role in this movie, and it's a very different role for him, and it's, again, very straight-faced like the rest of the movie, but I liked it, and, uh, just a different, he's usually in terrible movies. He's this, like, likable presence who shows up yeah. in terrible movies, so I, I just wanted to give him a shout-out. But yeah, we're back, like, of course, Night of the Demon is just this unshakable experience. It is, I don't know if you can call it a movie, it's, it's an experience, it's something that washes over you and you just have to take in all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sex, the violence, the Bigfoot, the cult, the 80s-ness, the, like, it is everything you want with extra cheese. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and to the people who hear this recommendation and then watch the movie and are horrified by it, I apologize, but at least agree yeah. this far. You can't unsee Night of the Demon, and it will stick with you, even if you don't yeah. love it. It's not a recommendation. I'm not recommending it because I don't think anybody else is as sick as me. <laughs> but if they were, they could go see it. But no, no, I don't want to be on the hook for anyone actually watching this movie. Right. Okay. That's just the kind of thing it is. Well, it's the bottom two that I vehemently just think are disposable. I think that P 
people who are like are game for a cheesy Bigfoot movie, the bottom four you can maybe consider. But uh, those those two, the two at the bottom are just we dove on that grenade for you. You do not need to watch them, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, let me just. It just occurred to me. I'm glad I, I I almost forgot here. I mean, would people know with all the things we keep forgetting that we're approaching fifty? Larry, I don't know. But yeah. It just occurred that I want to give honorable mention to the one Bigfoot film that's unfortunately not ever going to be on a Bigfoot list because you put it on your creature feature <laughs> list, which is Primal Rage. Right. I would submit to you that as a Bigfoot movie, it's not perfect either. It has especially some third act problems. Primal Rage is above all of these films. I mean, obviously not as interesting as Night of the Demon. That's its own thing. But as a well-constructed Bigfoot horror movie, that's absolutely excellent. So those who are fans of the genre should definitely check that one out and hopefully enjoy the podcast where you do discuss it. Yeah, I will back your recommendation of Primal Rage. What was the other one you were talking about in our previous episode? Where Oh, I wouldn't ever really recommend Fear Runs Silent. Fear that's, Runs Silent. I still haven't been is, able to find that one. That one is bizarre in so many ways but it's at least made by a crazy person so there are some interesting moments and the take on the Bigfoot in theory is actually one of my favorites but it's another one I would not actually recommend per se <laughs> well I suspect we are going to be hearing again from Brendan hopefully sooner than later and maybe even before yeah. the end of this 10th season so I'm excited about that thank you so much for talking Bigfoot with me my brother um, stay cool Take care of your kids. Yeah. Watch a horror movie. Show your daughter Tremors for me if she hasn't seen it yet, okay? <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Larry. I hope I'll be chatting with you again soon. Look forward to it, man. Boom. Bye. And that is another ranking review in the books. Thank you so much for your ears. Once again, big thanks for Brendan from all the way in Florida for talking Bigfoot again and uh, withstanding a pretty tough list. Um, please send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website at rankandreview.ca. It helped me a lot if you told that other movie fan in your life about the podcast or maybe let them know about your favorite episode to check out. That would be super awesome of you. But until next uh, I enter your ears, just know you're appreciated. And thank you for supporting Rankin Movie. We drop every other Wednesday, kids. Thank <laughs> you.